You are listening to a conservative review production. Trust, but verify. You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review's senior editor, Daniel Horowitz, and along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. Welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. It is September 8th, 2016, Thursday. And yes, this is our second podcast of the day. This is our record. Two and one as promised. We have a special edition here. We are going to bring on a couple minutes. The only conservative running for Senate this year on all 50 states, believe it or not, especially one that has a legitimate chance of winning this late-breaking news this week. Joe Miller getting on the ballot as a libertarian in Alaska to challenge the two liberals in, in, in Alaska running, a Democrat and, well, another Democrat, Lisa Murkowski. Um, you, you know, I first want to bring back, and, and it's been a while, our, our buddy Joe Koss. For those of you who don't know, he is our resident polar bear. He is from Alaska, spent some time there up up in Alaska, and he was involved with the Joe Miller campaign the first time around 2010. Um, and he certainly has a lot of valuable insight. So, hey, Joe, how How's about it? it? How yeah. about it? Who would think six years later we'd be back? Well, you know, this is somebody that I feel strongly about, and, you know, I'm excited to have him on the podcast. It's a, It's an honor and a privilege. Uh, he should have been there six years ago. He beat Lisa Murkowski in the primary. And the thing about uh, Joe Miller is that he stands for all the principles that conservatives should fight for and want to fight for. And so I don't care what label you put, you know, after his name on a ballot, the principles he stands for, you know, supersedes any any party affiliation that's there. Now, I mean, that's hard to do. I mean, he's not going to run as a Democrat for sure. He needs to align. But that's what you have to remember. Alaskan politics is different. So a libertarian in Alaska is really a lot more like a Ted Cruz or Mike Lee uh, yep. Republican than than a Republican is up there because a Republican up there are people like Lisa Murkowski, uh, <laughs> who, who on our Liberty store, she's what, 24 percent? I mean, yeah, we got the 55 failing grades. I mean, she makes that look like I, I, I was thinking today. What is the Democrat equivalent of Elisa Murkowski? I mean, could you picture a Democrat having a record like that? Uh, Zell Miller from from, you know, over a decade ago? Maybe. I mean, maybe. But he was just a couple issues. I mean, yeah. she's on all all three legs of the stool. I mean, national security, social, fiscal, religious liberty, you name it. Um, this this is unreal. So anyway, with no further ado, we got on the line here. Joe Miller running in Alaska. Hey, Joe, how are things going up there? They're going great. Uh, appreciate you guys having me on the show. We, of course, just announced, uh, so we've been going less than 48 hours, and volunteers are flooding in. People are so excited up here in the great land about the fact that they actually have a conservative that they can vote on. Uh, you know, we had record low turnout in the primary, 15.4%. Uh, you had to go clear back to the 70s, Senator Mike Gravel's era, to get that low a turnout. People were just really disgusted over the lack of choice that they had in the primary. And so folks are coming in and, and we're excited about what we're seeing on the ground. 
So I, th- I want to start off first just framing the p- politics, the political dynamic of this race. You know, you have a primary season. We've really chronicled this on our podcast and our writings at Conservative Review. Mark Levin, sign up for LevinTV.com. I mean, he's he's been decrying this. In the much vaunted year of the outsider, every outsider lost, and, and you had – um, conservatives go down in every primary. We have not nominated a single viable conservative this entire election cycle to the Senate. So, you know, this this uh, election was no different. Um, we thought maybe there'd be a challenger to Lisa Murkowski. Didn't happen. And Alaskans are stuck with the same false choice, the lesser of two evils. I don't even know if there's much of a lesser there. I mean, Lisa Murkowski is a comprehensive liberal. And there was no choice. But now somehow you got on the ballot as a libertarian. Could you explain the dynamics of how you got on and just go through kind of just what what type of field is out there, multiple candidates, and how you think you could win this in a general? Sure. So this this started to take place, this transfer to the Libertarian Party and get on the ballot uh, less than a week ago. Uh, Well, actually, now we're at a week. The Libertarian Party board received a letter from the Libertarian candidate withdrawing from the race. Uh, I was contacted by a Libertarian Party member who used to be on the governing board, and he inquired, hey, do you want to be on our ballot? Uh, That initiated a discussion, but we did not actually know for sure it was going to happen until Tuesday of this week. Uh, Paperwork finally filed 1, 2 o'clock p.m. at the Division of Elections. So that really was the process. Of course, one of my initial inquiries was, to my wife, the most important, and 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 Joe, of course, knows Kathleen. Uh, she is an extraordinary mate and one that uh, I think the political figures would probably dream about having. I mean, she's active, she's engaged, she's high spirited, and you know, she certainly uh, has gone through the blender with respect to what we faced up here in the past. But she immediately gave her 100% green light to the run. Uh, and so that started the process. Of course, in looking at the field, uh, we actually have three other candidates in the race, and they're all pretty much Democrats. I mean, we have the actual Democrat. His name is Ray Metcalf, populist uh, kind of guy, the grassroots Democrats guy. Uh, you know, electorate likes him, leadership doesn't. Margaret Stock, uh, she is a Democrat-leaning independent, global warming advocate immigration, illegal alien advocate, uh, you know, left on most issues. She, even though she's an independent uh, by at least party on affiliation category, she has raised a tremendous amount of money. I think she's over a half a million bucks, which for Alaska is a lot. And then, of course, you have Murkowski, who we routinely label as a, a Republican in name only. Some are calling her a fake Republican up here just because, you know, she's one of Obama's chief enablers has voted with him over 70% of the time, and by all regard is Democratic except for in label and how she votes. So it's a wonderful opportunity where the left is going to split up its vote and uh, multiple different candidates. Unlike the 2010 race where we had a very weak Democratic candidate, this time the field is different. So we think that there's real opportunity, even though there's only two months to the general election. Right. Joe, this is Joe. You, you know, you mentioned your wife, Kathleen, who y- you said 
correctly, you said it better than I ever could, about the fact that she's someone that any candidate or any any man would want to have as their wife. You know, I saw what she went through at a personal level from the last race. In the last race, you know, well, I should say two races ago in 2010, it was brutal. I mean, I don't think that that's couching it too softly. Why? I mean, I don't want to ask the typical media question why do you want to put your family through this but but let's be realistic i mean this is this even though it's two months it's tough i mean what is your driving force and 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 what is the driving force philosophically behind this i mean we know lisa murkowski is bad but if you win and, and hopefully you will you still have to go and face that sort of opposition day in and day out you know i spoke at a meeting of limited government constitutionalists several weeks ago and I, and this was before I knew even had an inkling of an idea that I was going to get in as I did this week. But I basically was advocating folk to engage. Uh, there is a growing movement. I shouldn't call it a movement because really that, that's a little bit of an overstatement. But there are, are many conservatives who've decided the system is broke and why even do anything? It's corrupted, right? Uh, you know the the fixes in. However, you want to describe it. Exactly. <clears throat> Excuse me. And in, and in many respects, they're right. Um, you know, we saw the fix was in in 2010. But I pose the question: What is the alternative? I mean, it's too terrible to contemplate. Uh, I think that we that have opportunity to influence, we that have opportunity to go out and try to lead in such a way to get the country back on track, have no choice but to engage. It is an imperative. Uh, This country, I mean, especially if you look at the attitudes of the younger generations, we, if we don't get things switched around, we aren't going to have a country left in a decade. And, you know, I think that the founders, uh, although they might have not perceived this exact situation, certainly set up a federal system that could accommodate the very diverse country that we have today. And that is a resonant message. I mean, if, if it can be explained without getting drowned out by the controlled media, without getting drowned out by the corrupt establishment that doesn't want to see anybody like us in power, people, they engage behind us. It resonates with an idea of local control, getting the federal government and its largesse and its dominance out of the way so that we can actually make for ourselves a future and a life that's prosperous that's focused on our values and not DC values. You know, Joe, it's interesting. Right now, you've really flipped the dynamic on on Lisa Murkowski. Initially, in 2010, you were the one who knocked her off in a primary. You had the Republican nomination. She ran as, oh, I'm the outsider with a right in Kansas City. And, you know, you, like many conservatives, were stuck with the gratuitous baggage of the Republican Party that we have. And, And it's hard for us to even connect. You talk about... And especially because this is a general election, you're not just trying to pick up conservative based voters, but across the spectrum, people that are sick of this system. And we, we can't break through because we're stuck in this mold of a party that doesn't really represent that. Um, there's so much hypocrisy and inconsistency and preconceived notions among the younger generation about the Republican Party. What sort of opportunity do you think you have now being with the shoe on the other foot? She's the Republican, even though she's anything but. Uh, but you have a third party line, what opportunity do you think you have to broaden your message to make it fresh and resonant with, you know, not just conservatives, but everyone? 
Well, I think the message of local control is one that resonates across the spectrum. And, and there are some people on the left that actually support me because they understand I'm a man of integrity. And when I tell people that I'm out there to ensure that the states have the rights that are protected under the Constitution and that they then can battle out many of the important issues that have been dominated by D.C., they're attracted to that. They understand, hey, yeah, Joe's a social conservative. He is on all of these issues appropriately defined as conservative. But he's also a guy that wants to return power to the states where we can have the debates that instead have been dominated by D.C. and it's one-size-fits-all type responses. And, and that is something that is broad. It is something that folk from outside of the Republican Party can get behind. And in Alaska in particular, given the fact that you know, the undeclared, nonpartisan, unaffiliated, independent parties dominate the political spectrum, it's a real opportunity. I think we're at 65 or 70 percent of the electorate is not Republican or Democrat. So I, I think real opportunity would be the response. And I think that what we're seeing on the ground today, just less than 48 hours out, reflects, in fact, that that message will resonate here. Do you have a website up yet? Uh, we do have a website. It's joeforliberty.com that is under construction currently. <laughs> it directs to a donation page, which, of course, is critical. <laughs> That's no, the no, number one is. thing. We need to get some funding in. Actually, it's not the number one thing. The number one thing is the volunteer support that's coming in. I mean, that is critical. We all will never make parity with you know the establishment candidates fundraising, uh, but we don't have to because for every one of our dollars, it probably goes as far as 20 or 30 of theirs. And we've demonstrated that time and time again. Uh, but it is still important because a lot of people get their information uh, from conventional sources and we need to raise those funds. So that's where it heads right now to our donation site. And I would encourage your listeners to go to Joe liberty.com and donate what you can. No, there's, there's no question about that. I mean, it's funny. I was joking around with people. You have the entire conservative movement captivated now by this philosophical debate over a very unideal situation where a lot of people aren't happy with the nominee. Are you going to vote for him, not vote for him? And I, I said to myself, if everyone who agrees with each other on pr practically 100% of the issues would just stop tearing down friendships and just could you take 10 minutes away and donate $30 to Joe Miller and then go back to fighting about <laughs> Trump. But the point is, you know, we, we got to make the plays we can make and the stuff that everyone agrees to. And I think what you're, and, and let me know what you feel, how, how you feel about this. Um, but a lot of people are looking for, look, they need an, a new party. There is no party that represents constitutional values. Now, it's very hard to break in on a national level in one cycle at once. But wouldn't it show a powerful message electing you know, a constitutionalist on an, a new party uh, line, a libertarian party, but a state libertarian party line, and breaking that kind of monopoly control, but also in the form of – Someone like yourself, who's very liberty-minded, very attuned to Fourth Amendment concerns, but at the same time, very, very philosoph philosophically grounded in sovereignty, security, the civil society, understanding of the civilization, jihad, kind of the full spectrum to unite all those that are sick, sick of the, the monopoly of both parties. It, it's been decades since somebody from a third party has been elected to a federal office. Uh, I think never has a libertarian been elected to a federal office. At least our research suggests that. Uh, and it would be, I think, well, I don't want to take this too far, 
but I do believe it could be uh, a catalyst to future action. I, it certainly would destabilize the establishment, the duopoly, as I often call it, uh, because they maintain control over essentially everybody that comes into Congress, at least try to exert that kind of control. And having somebody come outside of that fold, I do believe could be a catalyst to new action. I agree with you. I've been, uh, like you and, and Joe, I've been speculating for some time, is the answer to this corruption a new party? And, and of course, whether or not the answer to that is yes, the fact is, if we conclude it's yes, there still has to be a catalyst to move us in that direction. And I think this could be it. Uh, you know, I'm obviously going to caucus with the Republicans sure. if I'm elected, but still it is an independent streak that others could see as being an answer to where we're at with the corruption of D.C., and I'll certainly fan the flames as hot as I can to make sure that we at least displace the corrupt leadership that has so to this country over the last several decades. Right. I mean, a fire can start from just one little spark. And like you said, that catalyst for change, I mean, you winning would, I think, do that. It would it would establish not only a precedent, but, uh, you know, a glimmer of hope for people that say, well, he did it. There's got to be a way to do it more and more often. And if nothing else, it breaks the chain of the binary choice. But but, you know, Thinking about the Senate in 2016, it's going to be close at the end of the day. I mean, the Democrats may pull the Senate back and or the Republicans might just hang on. But that's sort of the thing I've been talking to people around D.C. and just in, in my world about your candidacy and what it means, because I said, you know, at the end of the day, can he do it or why should he do it or is it the right thing or, or you know, all those questions combined. I say, hey, to me, it comes down to this simple question. It the, the courts in this country have run amok. And as Daniel puts forth in his book, and we talk about privately a lot, it's not about just one Supreme Court justice seat, you know, on the Supreme Court. It's not just about replacing Scalia and everything's hunky-dory. This is about every federal judge and every appointment that's going to come across in the next four years. I mean, I'd much rather have a Joe Miller on there than a Lisa Murkowski or really a lot of the people out there. But I mean, you know, you talk about localism and you talk about state control. I mean, the courts, that really comes down to it. I mean, they're really supposed to be the guardians of that, and they've really abdicated that duty, haven't they, in the last, you know, four to ten years? Yeah, I mean, it's actually been going on longer than that. Uh, the courts have virtually no respect uh, for the Constitution, at least as originally intended to be applied, and it's becoming a huge problem. And you know, unfortunately, we have people like Murkowski in the Senate that are facilitators of that. You know, there was a comment, just an atrocious comment that came out from her staff recently about the fact that basically Murkowski would vote for any nominee from the Obama administration, vote, would vote for cloture, I should say, not vote for the nominee, but vote for cloture, which effectively is a vote for for many of these folks, uh, unless, you know, <laughs> they were a child molester. And I, you know, that is the attitude that is so pervasive right now in the Republican Senate with respect to nominees. Nobody really demands an originalist approach uh, from these judicial nominees. And so now we have, of course, a continuation of what's been going on for decades, where there is zero respect for what the founders intended in the Constitution. And, of course, it's let things go amok. The Ninth and Tenth Amendments, they mean nothing anymore. You know, who cares if the power is not enumerated? We'll create it. And that kind of is the perspective that has had currently in the federal judiciary. And, I, you know, it is something that we have to get control of. I mean, we can, 
we can fix representation in D.C., but if the courts continue to run amok, uh, what else? You know, I, I do believe that if we elected the right people, that we could impose limits uh, even outside of the appointment process through impeachment. Uh, but, of course, right now, you probably only have a handful of people on the House that even have the courage to start that. Uh, but the courts have to be addressed, Joe. You're right. It's a foundational issue that has created many of the problems we have today. It's empowered D.C. It's facilitated the socialist, and we've got to get control of it. People like Murkowski aren't going to do anything to limit that power. You know, it's funny you mentioned that Murkowski is not going to do anything. I, I still have that image in my mind. Uh, from November 2014, when it became apparent it, during election night the Republicans would win back the Senate, and uh, she she was at some venue in in, in Alaska, and 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 there's this goofy picture of her taking a chair and lifting it over her head, dancing around. I'm chairman, you know, because she got now with the majority control, she's chairman of the Energy Committee, Committee on Energy and Natural Resources, and the subcommittee of appropriations overseeing. Um, the funding of the Department of Energy and all the related things. And she's literally done nothing with it. Um, and in fact, I, I, you know, Chuck Schumer made the comment during uh, the last budget battle that he was shocked that they got away without any energy environmental policy riders to block the crushing regulations. And, and, and that's the thing. She's going to come up and say she's all about Alaska. She's all about Alaska. But as you noted, it's the the executive, you know, especially with environmental regulations that are totally outside of the purview of the statutes and the judiciary are crushing the states. It's almost like you need a federal representative to get in there to rein them in. And she's out to lunch. And, you know, one of the things that she has trumpeted over the years is that yeah, and this is before she became the chair, that, you know, just reelect me, give me power, allow me to rein in the EPA, and we'll open up Alaska. And she's done exactly the opposite. And you look at, for example, the issue of Anwar in Alaska, critically important to the vast majority of Alaskans. We want yeah. it open for oil exploration and we, development. We've been talking about you this for pipeline. 25 years. Let's say again? We've been talking about this for 25 years and, and did exactly, nothing. Exactly, exactly. And it just goes on and on. And then she gets to a position of supposed power. And guess what? Nothing happens. And she actually, you know, we made this comment uh, on Tuesday. I made this comment during an interview that, you know, we want to get the feds out of the state of Alaska so that we can chart our own future and develop our resources and create a prosperous future. Uh, but the feds are standing in the way. And Murkowski really is the fed. I mean, that's who she is. She's the one that's facilitating this. And yet she uses this doublespeak, as you know, we've heard so often from our representatives in D.C., that uh, is just completely contrary to reality. Yeah, I want to move to just some nuts and bolts here. And, and this is where, where our, our other Joe here, Joe Koss, uh, is very well acquainted with. You know, everyone asks me this. You know, we, 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 it's hard enough to get a constitutionalist who actually is willing to run, put it on the line, has a very supportive wife. That is it's always very important. But then, you know, having good campaign staff, um, being a, the ability to raise money, what what do you think you've learned from some of the mistakes of 2010, how you could run a better campaign and, and take this across the finish line? Well, I, you know, what have we not learned? Um, <laughs> and this is one of the things that's so challenging to folk that just first jump into the fray. Uh, you just really don't know what to expect. And, and there really are two different 
phases of campaigns. You've got primary and then general. Of course, now we're in the general. Primary was a totally different animal than what we saw in the general. I mean, obviously, organization is important. But really what we did in 10 was we just worked 24 hours a day trying to get our message out. And, uh, and, and that energy actually translated into victory. Uh, in the general election, what we discovered is, and, and Joe can probably share some of this with you, you know, just because you're a Republican or just because you self-describe as conservative doesn't mean you're our friend. And in fact, <laughs> many people are more connected to power than they are to their ideology. And so you've got to be cautious, but obviously you can't shut down help. I mean, you've got to encourage everybody that wants to help to come in. But you also have to be careful not to be corrupted within. You also have to ensure that you have good structural support. And I'm talking about folks that are advocating for the same values you are that can assist and allow the candidate to be the candidate. That's a critical part. And we've learned over two races that the monetary aspect of a campaign is important, too, because you always have a percentage of people that get their information and get their education from the conventional sources. And I'm talking about the press, so you got to advertise. I mean, it's just, it's a reality that you're looking at a at least probably 25 to 30% section of the electorate that isn't going to be touched by your grassroots activist. And so, you know, we, these are things that we're applying, of course, in this election, we have a very short period of time. I mean, the primary application is energy. We're already working 20 hours a day. Uh, we have right now dozens of signs going up and Anchorage. We have a group out here composed of volunteers that answered the call within 24 hours of announcing uh, the candidacy. And I think that those past lessons, of course, messaging is also important, are things that are going to apply forward. Uh, we made some big zingers, and I'm not going to go through them all on the phone today with you. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's edifying to a future campaign, but as Joe Koss can probably discuss with you in the background, those are things, especially interfacing with the press, uh, that are important going forward. Our press up in Alaska, and I, I will tell you, uh, just like the rest of the country, is a controlled media. Uh, ours is perhaps worse in Alaska than it is at the national level, although there's been a little bit of fracturing uh, we it, it it is dominated and it messages in unison. Uh, we're seeing some of that, of course, at the national level, a little harder with all the moving pieces. But but it requires a special touch and in, in interacting with that. One of the things that we've been able to do in Alaska, uh, which is a, a real benefit to us that other campaigns probably haven't had the opportunity for. And I this is not a campaign controlled site, but you know we've established restoring liberty. Uh, it's the number one political site in the state. Uh, it, you know, is very active in informing conservatives across the spectrum as to what's going on. We have the capacity now to actually get our message out, even when the conventional media dominates with things that aren't accurate. Now, this media this year is going to have a little bit more of a challenge because, again, it's a multi-candidate race uh, that, you know, Murkowski has not delivered. That's another important thing that people need to realize uh, that are considering whether to engage in this race, she made promises in 2010 that she's not delivered on. She said that you reelect me and I'll make Alaska prosperous. And what has <laughs> happened? We're in a far worse condition today, six years later, than we were back in 2010. The old system of, you know, the, the cronyism and the corruption has not been effective to displace the economic issues our state has. And because of that, she doesn't have the degree of support she once had. And so I think that's going to be something also that Alaskans look at and that the media 
uh, already, I think, is indicating that it is not going to draw wagons around her candidacy in unison. And so that's good news for us. And we're running out of time, but that was one of the things I was going to ask is, you know, having having worked with you and in, in, in seeing firsthand how the media tr- you know, treated you and created narratives of their own. I mean, it's one of the reasons I sort of stayed on this end of things, which is it, it, I wasn't naive, but I also wasn't aware at how vast the media sort of does that even even unknown to their, their own self. Sometimes they didn't even know they were doing it. I, you know, I would talk to a reporter on background during that race and they would say, but this and this and this. And I would bring up Lisa Murkowski and they said, oh, well, nobody's, you know, nobody's pushing that. And and that's the thing. I mean, reporters sometimes don't even know they're doing it. Now, I'm not letting them off the hook, but I mean, in 2010, there was a pretty conscious effort to keep the status quo. I mean, that was obvious. But I mean, do you think that this time, now that the tables are turned, I mean, you can really flip every narrative that she threw at you in 2010. And even this time, you know, oh, well, you're not a Republican. What happened? I mean, you can literally turn the table on her in every way possible, which to me, I kind of chuckled because it's sweet poetic justice. But I mean, do you feel that you're going to get enough of a fair shake or at least an objective lens through some of the media or at least enough of the media to be able to get your message, you know, out there? To, to, to win and, and, and to kind of succeed in getting uh, the principles and the values out there to the people so that they can have an honest vote on you? We think that we will win. It's going to require a tremendous amount of effort, but we believe that the press will not be fair. Uh, we have to assume that. But that still is not changing the fact that we're going to make ourselves accessible to the press. We even interviewed with a station up here called KTVA, which, Joe, I'm sure you remember. <laughs> yes, uh, I they, do. they were caught conspiring openly by accidentally calling our press secretary, leaving a voicemail on his phone yep. where that conspiracy was open for all to hear. And, I mean, it was just extraordinary, the lengths that they went in to create false stories. We actually interviewed with them this time. I mean, John Tracy, who worked for the Murkowski campaign, is now in control of that station. <laughs> um, obviously, they're going to spend things. But, you know, the thing is, the message that, that we are trumpeting in this campaign resonates. And, you know, they can't keep that. Even if they take a soundbite, they're still going to get it. And so it's a different approach. It's one that I think, again, is experience. It's, it's a an informed approach based upon past campaigns, and so far, I mean, we actually have gotten a fairly a fair shake from the Alaska media over the last couple of days. I'm not under any illusion that that's going to change, especially as we close in on Murkowski. Uh, but but so far, so far, you're right. I think that we have uh, a media that is something that can be used in a way to deliver victory. Not that they're going to be fair to us. Uh, but it is an instrument that's going to be used in this process to carry us to victory. And, and of course, conservatives got to engage, liberty, liberty-minded folks got to engage. I mean, those of you uh, libertarians out there who want a, you know, a candidate, I mean, look at a national level. You got a dumpster fire there, a guy who supports carbon uh, taxes and gun control. I mean, some libertarian there. Here you actually have a real one, um, a real traditional one. And uh, we're about out of time. My gosh, we can go forever here. We got to have you back just real quick. Where can people go to find out more about you? Uh, go to JoeForLiberty.com. JoeForLiberty.com. That's going to take you to the contribution site. Restoring Liberty still has a narrative about us. If you go there, that's JoeMiller.us or RestoringLiberty.com. It'll get you there either way. Uh, obviously, if you're here in Alaska listening to this podcast, 
Uh, make sure that you join with us. We have headquarters both in Anchorage and in Fairbanks. Anchorage 607 West Northern Life, Suite 3, Fairbanks 250 Cushman, Suite 2A. And, uh, yeah, of course, obviously, outside of the state, we need everybody's help engaged in social media. Help us with funding. We'd really appreciate your help again. JoeForLiberty.com. JoeForLiberty.com. Perfect. We're about out of time. Thanks so much, and keep us updated, all right? Thanks so much, Daniel. Thanks, you, Joe. Appreciate it. Good to reconnect. Yeah, great. Good luck. All right. Well, there you have it, Joe. Gosh, I mean, I, I wish we had time to digest this. There's a lot to digest, but we're going to get killed for going overtime here <laughs> against our regulations. So, uh, g- guys, I mean, again, you're not going to hear this anywhere else. We could sit and debate, vote for Trump, not vote for Trump all day. Um, but, you know, we guarantee you at Conservative Review to focus on things that other people aren't, but that are vitally important, even more important. And, uh, you know, these are the plays we can make, the issues we can deal with. I'm so happy that we had this opportunity. Thanks so much for listening. Pick up our other podcasts from this week as well. We'll be back next week. Until next time, this has been another episode of Conservative Conscience.